iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest moderator this afternoon, Ben Lyons. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, my name is Ben Lyons. I work for the E! Channel, and I am subjected to seeing hundreds of movies all year long, uh, and very once in a while a film grabs me that I say, I gotta see this again and again, and I lost myself in legacy, and I'm very honored to be here today, joined by two of the stars, one in person and one in Los Angeles who's working on another movie. So I wanna introduce everybody, as well as the director. So first, let's bring out Thomas Akimi, a wonderful filmmaker who uh, is only 30 years old and will be joining us here today, his film here at Tribeca, and he's joined by one of my favorite actors, Eamon Walker. My dad's here today and he's a big Eamon Walker fan, so he's very excited. Uh, and, uh, and we have our good friend and the star of the film as well, Idris Elba, who is in Los Angeles on iChat. This is gonna be a lot of fun, guys. Congratulations on the film. Uh, I, like I said, I've seen the film now three times, lost myself in it. Tell me where this journey began for you, Thomas, and, and just because uh, you're the writer, director, producer, and obviously the, the driving force behind Legacy. Right. Uh, thanks, everyone, for coming out today. Um, Legacy actually started for me three and a half years ago. Um, I'd made my first student film, which was actually a feature for $9,000 uh, while I was a student here in New York. Obviously, it's very difficult for independent filmmakers to find funding for their films. So I had this idea as I'm a Hitchcock fan and I'm a fan of the old thrillers from the 60s and the 50s of doing something akin to what he did with Rear Window, Rope and Dilemma for Murder where he created an expansive thriller experience in a single room. <clears throat> I just felt, you know what, obviously once you confine something to a single space like Reservoir Dogs for example, it will cut down on the cost and amount of money I would have to raise. So that was my initial inspiration to actually start devising the story. Then, you know, I wrote the script, I developed it and developed it, and I realized that, you know what, this could actually become a lot more. And I infused it with elements of the current climate of terrorism and so forth as the undercurrent to the actual film um, and thriller that I was creating. There he is, Idris Elba on the iChat. How are you, buddy? Back in Los Angeles after the premiere last night. Tell me where this journey be began for you. And I had heard that you were originally supposed to play Eamon's character in the film. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. This, 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 when uh, Thomas sent me the script, he said I wanted you to look at the, the role of the senator, um, and I read it. You know, it was the first ten pages were amazing. I was like, wow. And as I got into it, you know, I started to get more attracted to the Malcolm character because you know that that it was it's pretty good obvious that I wouldn't be you know type for Malcolm. Um, and, and Thomas said, you know, I think you'd suit the senator. He said something like, you know, you look in the suit. So. I was, uh, I, re I really like Malcolm character. Um, let me take a take a, a look at that. That's how it came up. Well, you have some wonderful scenes. Obviously, your brother in the film, and and you guys almost seem like kindred spirits in terms of your careers. If you look at them, tell me a little bit, Mr. Walker, about your experience with Idris. And have you guys knew each other before the film? Yeah, we knew each other uh, in England. We'd worked together on stuff there, uh, but we were young actors then, right, Idris? Uh, very different points in our career. <laughs> uh, and America has been very good to us. Uh, the experience of working on this film with uh, Thomas, we met in a hotel in Glasgow, started talking about the film immediately. Uh, the intensity of the relationship between these two men and the brotherhood 
came up straight away. We actually started acting in the foyer. People were walking by going, what is going on in that corner? Uh, he was like a kid in a candy store because elements of the story started to develop right in front of him. And it was really quite uh, intense. Uh, and that brotherhood, I think, and that feeling is captured in the film. Idris, you are right now in Los Angeles working on Thor, which you know I'm excited for, another huge action film. And the action sequences here are just as spectacular, but obviously on a much smaller scale, but as equally intense. Tell me about training for this film and and especially those fight sequences here in Legacy. Well, I mean, believe it or not, you know, the the fight sequence was, uh, we learned that fight uh, over the course of two days. So it was one day to rehearse it and a day to shoot it. Uh, and the actor and I, uh, Diabo, his name is, um, we, we had to learn it like, like it was like, like, it was like learning a dance, you know. Um, uh, the stunt coordinator was thorough, worked with two stunt guys, and, and what they had done is they had shot the fight on their little uh, campus, uh, move for move, and then they gave us the DVDs and we watched this fight over and over again, and then we and then we rehearsed it, and then the next day we shot it. So it was like a two-day process. But it was tough, man, you know, um, and I think that fight has been cut down. There's a lot more to it that uh, I guess Thomas you know, decided in the edit uh, would, would be better to lose. Um, and the other stuff, the other fight sequences, like, you know, the, uh, and, the, and the gun sequences, you know, again, we didn't have that much time. When you've got, like, a really small budget, you have luxury for that rehearsal time. You just have to get in there and on with it. Well, last night I was privileged enough to go to the premiere here at Tribeca, and since Jane Rosenthal and Robert De Niro decided to start this festival, it has been on my calendar every year. I will never miss the Tribeca Film Festival. Thomas, for you to screen the film here last night and premiere it here, tell me about the experience. Yeah, it was great. I mean, I always say that usually for filmmakers, you know, you drop your list of the perfect situation for your film. Like, you start out and you say, okay, you know what, if I can get great actors in my movie, which I actually managed to do, then you can get uh, into a decent festival. You then list all the festivals, and Tribeca was top of my list of festivals I wanted to go to. And it was sort of like a dream that, you know what, best case scenario, I'd actually make it. And believe it or not, I submitted to Tribeca, then I withdrew my submission. Because I was like, you know what, I'm not ready. I just didn't feel I was ready. Because this was a movie that I wrote, directed, produced, edited. You know, so you're sitting there, I'm like, you know what, I'm so involved in this thing that maybe I'm not sure you know, what, it's, what it is, you know, and putting it out there of something of this scale, I would rather not be rejected than putting it out there to be rejected, if you know what I mean. And it was actually David Kwok, the um, head programmer of Tribeca, that sent me a message and he just said, look, you know, we see things in all levels of finished, of finished states and the fact that you don't have your music in, you don't have your sound in, the edit isn't locked yet, we will be able to see the potential of what it's going to be when it's finished. And I sent it in, and I got an email at 1 a.m. in the morning, UK time, that we got into the festival. And you have to understand, I've been rejected so many times, personally and professionally. Um, So, you know, I'm used to all kinds of rejections, verbal rejections, uh, you know, gesture rejections, all kinds of rejections. So I was reading this email, and, you know... <laughs> yeah, 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 whatever. I was reading this, I was reading this, this email, and the, bit, the first sentence, it's always nice. When a festival rejects you, it's always nice. And they start off praising. And this, the beginning line was, 
thank you very much for submitting. I was like, okay, forget this. And I just left it. And then I read it again later on, and we got in. I um, got onto the phone to Idris and everyone, and we were all, like, excited. And it was a very great moment for us. And yesterday was an unbelievable reception for the film. It was very unexpected, you know? Idris, I think we have to say goodbye to you. You got to go back to being a big movie star. Is that, is that the signal I'm getting over there? So lastly, quickly, Idris, one more question. Not only are you the star of the film, but you're an executive producer on the project as well. What made you believe in Thomas, a young filmmaker, 30 years old, obviously passionate about films? What made you want to executive produce the film as well? Honestly, you know, outside of his initial email, which was a really passionate email, you, you, you know, Thomas is an orator. He'll talk for years if you give him a chance. But he wrote his beautiful email to me um, telling me who he is, his history, and then it was the script, bro. You know, the, 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 the writing was um, textured. It was well put out. Um, and it was ambitious. I mean, it's quite an ambitious um, 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 film for a young, young filmmaker to make. The characters, you know, Eamon's character, my character, are well fleshed out and well written. So I was like, you know, listen. Um, it wasn't even him. I think he was giving me a shot as well because... You know, he hadn't written that part for me. So, you know, I think we just had faith in each other very early on. And then as far as an executive position, you know, it's just good to be on the other side of the camera, seeing how films are put together. I learned a lot. Um, you know, as an actor, you're typically on the lowest, you know, uh, ladder. But, but in this instance, you know, the decision makers, uh, Thomas and I and, and Eamon, we all collaborated on, on, you know, how we pull this film together. So... I mean, it was a great experience, and I'm really, really, really pleased that, you know, Thomas and I did it. I mean, it's a great film. I'm so proud. A tremendous performance, worthy of all the award show consideration when that stuff comes around. So we thank you for joining us today, and uh, get back to work on Thor, and uh, we'll see you out there. Cheers. DJing, too. Idris is a big DJ as well. you got to see him DJ in the club. Good to see you, buddy. Hey, guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks for coming. See you later. Tell me a little bit about playing a senator and how you prepare for taking on... Someone in the government. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you can prepare for being a senator. Um, the obvious person up there for me to do any research on, of course, is Obama. Uh, and I looked at him a lot. I looked at a lot of his interviews. I looked at the times when he was under pressure. Uh, this character, half the time he's on the screen, is you see him via interview on television, and Malcolm is watching it. Uh, and as he says, most of the words and scenes and even the, the title sequences is very important. There's clues in everything. If you like Cluedo, if you like to guess who done it, this is a film for you. And you're gonna have to work and you cannot miss a moment. Thomas, you spoke at length last night when you were doing the Q&A after the screening about the power the audience has to decide what you do next. Because when typically when a filmmaker explodes on the scene and delivers a great product, everyone says, what's next? What do you have next? And you said, well, it's for the audience to decide. What did you mean by that? Well, I mean, I, I just meant that the cinematic landscape has sort of changed, you know, now as compared to before, where the power really was with the industry as far as deciding what filmmakers would make, studios and so forth, hiring writers and then pairing them with directors and so on. I think it's far more autonomous now as far as a filmmaker being able to afford a camera to actually go out and make a film that can make a lot of money. Um, so it's almost like studios actually going out to find these filmmakers who are already fully formed and pulling them in with their own ideas. When I'm talking about the audience, I feel, you know, bloggers out there, 
people who are actually critiquing their own, the, the films that they go and see every weekend have so much power. You've got things like, I mean, I'll even ask a question. I'll name five websites, and you can raise your hands if you visit these ones once, at least once a week. IMDb, Ain't It Cool News, ComingSoon.net, IESB, Chud, Slash Film. I mean, I'm sure, I mean, how many people actually visit sites? I mean, there you go. Yeah. I mean, and, and the thing is, these things really inform a lot, the audiences today far more than an article in the New York Times would now as it would have before, where the, the, you know, the esteemed critics would actually decide. So I feel that the audiences are actually critiquing the films themselves, and the audience are going back to people who are like them to tell them about what they think they should see. And I think that's interesting because it means that, you know, I'm a fan first. And I actually came into film as a fan because I wanted to engage in something I enjoyed. And I feel that, you know what, it's, there's no better way of connecting with people than actually going directly to the source. Um, and at the end of the day, all that anybody's trying to do is predict what everybody here wants to see. You know, and we can't. You know, how many times does, do studios say we had no idea that was going to make that much money? You know, so that's, that's where that came from, really. Well, I think we might have some questions from the audience. Speaking of audience, does anybody have a, a few things? Jump in and join the conversation. Just raise your hand and we can include you. We've got uh, right here in the front. We do have a microphone, so just hang tight. And we'll be right over. Yeah, I just wanted to know um, what format did you shoot the movie on? What format did you shoot the movie on? You wanted to know what format you shot the film on. Oh, uh, the film was shot on a red camera in, uh, I think it was 4K HD, 24 frames progressive. You know, it's basically the digital simulation of 35 millimeter, you know. Um, so it's like a full HD uh, format. Got one here in the back. Eamon, you stole Cadillac Records. You, when you came on as Howlin' Wolf, particularly the scene where you approach the stage when the other guy's performing, and I'm sitting there saying, whoa, this guy is somebody I'm going to know a lot more about. Tell me about a moment like that. You know that it's happening, that the camera's on you, and even though you may not be the main focus of the scene, you made it without hamming it up, without eating the scenery. You just let the work and the dialogue and your charisma speak for itself. I'm sure that's going to be in this movie, too. I told too. you I my love dad. you. I told you my dad was an even Walker groupie. Didn't I say that when I came out on stage? He couldn't contain himself. Oh, I told wow. you that. Uh, yeah, you know, the way I, I like to work is basically to do the work of it. And uh, there's an awful lot of research involved. So when I got offered that film, I knew nothing about Howling Wolf. All, all I know is that Darnell Martin offered me that role. Uh, and because we'd worked together on Oz, she shot the first three episodes of Oz, she would say, come along, do what you do, which is do the work. Uh, the, the talent of that cast, Jeffrey, Beyonce, Mr. Brody, you know, uh, meant that everybody had to bring their A game. So I wasn't being charismatic. I was trying to be as close as I could to the research and the work that I had done for that man. So the intensity of that work, I learned the harmonica in a week. I put myself through much singing lessons and all the rest of it and then kind of just jumped off the edge of the precipice and then into it. So I thank you very much for that, for noting that. Cheers. We've got a question here in the front. Hello. Hi, Eamon. Hey, how are you? <laughs> Hi, um, Thomas. Um, I'm a, a fellow Brit and a Nigerian as well, so it's nice to see you up there doing your thing as well as Eamon. Um, are you going to be shooting anything here? Because I know you shot that overseas. 
So would you consider shooting here as well? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, as far as like where to shoot, a lot of it has been dictated by budgets. Like my first film, which I said was a student film, I shot in New York. But I shot it in New York because I was in New York. And I shot it around my school. You know, it was actually a thriller, philosophical thriller type thing. But I shot it in people's rooms, dorm rooms and stuff and just made it look the way I wanted it to look. So that really dictated where I shot. This film was shot in Scotland, in Glasgow. Um, and my initial idea was to come to New York to shoot it on location. But I ended up saying that, you know what, this is something that's predominantly based in a single room. We don't need to go there. It's going to save a lot of money to go there. Shooting it in Scotland was dictated by that and the fact that the crew there was so good and Scottish architecture informs architecture in New York, you know, historically. So there were many reasons why, you know, we picked there, but I'm open to shooting anywhere. I mean, if somebody gave me 100 million, I'd shoot in Timbuktu, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter. So, yeah. We have another question in, in the corner here. Oh, um, congratulations. As a, as a South African, it's refreshing to have an African tell a story that's different from poverty and death and all these things that the world seems to be celebrating or linking to us a lot. The question I have for you, Thomas, is why did you feel that this was a story you wanted to tell, which was different yet also challenging and has a global relevance? Right. Um, that's actually a good question because I remember when I made my first, uh, my first film, which... Uh, didn't have any black characters in it except one who was completely crazy. Um, I was attacked by all my friends because they were like, how can you make a movie and there's no black people in the movie? You're black. And I was like, well, I'm just making a movie. Because the truth of the matter is like, I grew up in a very different environment to um, American, you know, the American experience. I mean, I, I was born in England. I spent 10 years in Nigeria, then moved back to England. I went to prep school and public school. You know, I remember there was, in my schools, there were 10 black people and six of them were related to me, you know? So out of like 500 to 800 people. So it's one of those things that I, I grew up with an experience of the world that's very different. So I don't think the same way. I only learned about this way of thinking when I came here, you know? Because I spent 10 years here, I went to university and I learned about this way and in England as well to a degree. So when I wrote the story, I mean, these things interest me. I'm a Star Wars fan, for example. I want to do science fiction. I want to do things like Indiana Jones. I want to do things like James Bond. I'm not really tied to the urban inner city experience because I never had it, you know? And it would be very dishonest of me to try and do things like that. I know that there is a barrier um, in some people's minds of a guy like me doing a film like this, especially with this kind of cast. But I think, you know, I can't allow that to constrain me. You know, it's like, look, I want to make these sorts of films and there's enough people who will appreciate them. Um, I believe that until people start breaking those boundaries down, people will always have these boxes of like, Asians do Kung Fu, black people do gangster movies, and I guess white people do everything else. <laughs> I, I think from my point of view, uh, yes, yesterday when we were doing the Q&A after the film, you handed the, the microphone to Monique. Monique's in the audience, by the way, she's our leading lady. Uh, Monique is over there. Uh, Hi. Uh, she, you handed her when it was about race, and she had the perfect answer. You know, there are going to be those preconceived 
notions. But the, her answer was perfect. This is not about race in any shape or form. He's picked his cast. This is a psychological thriller that he has created. It has great intelligence uh, uh, and draws on many topics. It's multi-layered. And she said, it's not about race. And so, you know, I dare anybody to turn around after about first five seconds of watching this movie and continue to think black, white, green, pink or blue. You're just in the madness with this character. Monique in another small passion project as well, The Dark Knight, which is available on iPads right now. Right. Uh, Thomas, you had a great story last night about a previous career and a previous job that you had, and somebody told you, tell me the story, because I heard it last right, night, it's yeah, great, yeah. I love it. All right, like five years ago, I was a real estate agent in Manhattan, so I was, I was a guy running around trying to sell you guys apartments and homes and so on. And I remember like... It's not necessarily a good thing to say. Yeah, but. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but I, I was like... <laughs> I remember that at the time I got into my first major film festival with my student film and I went into my uh, boss's office and I was like, you know, I got into this festival, my movie's in there, could you please give me a hiatus so I can go away for like a month and I'll come back and you know what, I'm going to sell, I'll sell five apartments my first month back, don't worry about it, blah, blah, blah. And the guy looks at me and he's like, look, you're a director, you're a filmmaker, if you try and come back, I will fire you. You know, do not even consider coming back. Like, you've just got to go and run with this thing. And the thing is, I, I re it really helped me because he basically confirmed in me that, you know what, the only way to actually succeed with these things is just to go all the way. You know, if you've always got a fallback plan or a 50-50, guys like me would just won't make it. And I think him putting that into my head, I went away and I said, you know what, I don't know what's over the hill. I don't know what's going to happen after this festival, after this film. But I can't think that way of... We're going to do this and I'm going to run back. I'm going to do it, I'm going to run back. And I'm here now for that reason. Um, another funny story I never even mentioned. I was actually on a waiting list for an MBA the day, the week I got the call from the production team to sign on to do Legacy. So I actually had to decide between going to business school or doing this movie. And I was like, I never told my parents, I just said I got rejected, you know? <laughs> And I was just like, I would call them, I say, listen, I got rejected, I got to do the movie. So, you know, that's, those are the decisions you've got to make, I think, you know, in the, in the business. And, well, they'll know now, I guess. So, so lie, lie to your parents to your mom is what you're saying. That's great. Yeah, I do not advocate this if there are any kids here. I've met do not his mother, lie to your parents. I wouldn't do it either. <laughs> do we have time for a few more in the audience? We have here? one right here in the second row. This one uh, for Thomas. Uh, I was wondering what made you decide to get into filmmaking to begin with. And I was wondering what you were going to do after this, where you were going next. And what advice would you give to an aspiring filmmaker? And for Eamon, I was wondering what advice would you give for an aspiring actor? Okay. Um, I got into filmmaking by default, I think. Um, I grew up around movies. My father collected films. We had thousands of, and thousands of videos in our house growing up, and then we transitioned to Laserdisc and DVDs. So it was something that was always around me, so much so that there was always a film playing in the house. I went to university to do English literature and writing, so I was studying playwriting and screenwriting anyway. I remember my, my brother calls me and he said, look, what are you going to do when you graduate? You've got two more years. And I said, I'm not sure. And he said, you know what? You like writing. You like movies. Why don't you get into film? And that was literally the spark that got me started. And I, took, I wrote a script, decided to go and do it. I raised like $9,000 and I went out and made the movie. And that's how I got into it. Um, 
as far as like what I'm going to be doing next and going forward, again, it goes back to what I said yesterday. I'm not sure. I mean, I have a lot of ideas. I have a lot of scripts and directions I'd want to go in. But till Legacy really settles, that will inform me on what I'm going to do next. And again, it's like it's down to the audience. It's what is the audience's response that is going to inform the industry, inform the people around me, inform the people that will be giving me the opportunities to dictate what I'm going to be doing. But it's definitely trying to push boundaries. I mean, I would never make a movie that's run of the mill. So that's the one thing I can say. And the advice I'd give, finally, I mean, to your question, you've got to make a decision and realize that most people don't succeed in movies. That's the first thing. Once you accept that when you go in, then you can pretty much do anything. You see, a lot of people go in believing that, oh, there is no way I'm going to succeed, I'm going to succeed. And then you make bad choices. I think once you accept that, you know what? The high percentage of people don't make it. So if I am going to make it, I'm going to have to sacrifice things that most people wouldn't be willing to sacrifice. And I think that's the best advice I give to people. Just have the belief. Never listen to people who say you're going to fail. But in your mind, you have to know that the going into this business is 100% or nothing. You know, it's not the kind of thing that you've, you hedge your bets on. I don't know whether you feel different. Uh, our, our backgrounds are very, very different, but we, we ended up feeling exactly the same way. Uh, I grew up in London, and there was a lot of race issues uh, to do with growing up in London, and I didn't know how to be an actor. Or I know All I know for me is I saw In the Heat of the Night with Sidney Poitier and something fired off inside of me, and what that fired off was I don't have to accept what's in front of me or being told to me about how I should be or what my expectations are. So uh, advice for being an actor, um, just be open to almost anything and fight really hard to learn your craft and be ready to be in any situation like this one where you're in the middle of Scotland, you've, you've got no money, but you want to make the thing work. And through this, film through many films uh you will gain a voice and you will change the world somehow he is changing the world through this film because he's presented something uh and in a genre that you're not used to seeing two leads who happen to be black brits playing americans shot in scotland and i swear to god you will not think of it in any shape or form if you watch this film you will see it you will watch it you'll go on the journey of it you'll be confused you'll want to work your way behind it but none of those things will matter you will get a voice and change the world, and that's what he's done. If that's not a reason to go out and see Legacy, I don't know what is. There are a few more screenings, I think, during Tribeca? Yeah, there's a one every day till Friday. It's today, tomorrow, and on Friday. So, yeah, get out and see the movie. Very cool. Guys, congratulations. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you for that wonderful Thank you. compliment. Thank you. Yes. Love congratulations you. <laughs> on the film. Go see Legacy. Guys, keep it going. Thank you again to Thomas and Eamon and uh, Ben for coming out. We really appreciate it. Don't forget, guys, we're right in the middle of Tribeca. There's stuff going on all the time. For the complete schedule of events and happenings, apple.com forward slash retail forward slash Tribeca. We have another event coming up in just a little bit, so stay seated. we got fun things happening all the time. Thank you very much, and have a wonderful afternoon and evening.